Thank you. Please be seated. And as you take your seat, I invite you to turn with me to Amos and chapter 1. Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1 and uh, you will notice that we are continuing to march on in uh, our studies of the major lessons in the minor prophets major lessons in the minor prophets And if I can remind us of the ground that we have covered, we have seen that we have messages that were primarily directed to Israel and Judah due to their grievous sins. And uh, the, the height of their sinning was primarily idolatry. In other words... They stopped giving God his due in terms of his worth. They took God for granted and then their own hearts were now given over to idols like all the other nations around. Four of the minor prophets were written prior to the judgment falling upon the people of Israel. And those are the ones we are still going through. We've looked at Hosea, we've also looked at Joel, and now we are beginning to look at Amos. And then another four was written while the people of Israel were in captivity, roughly around that time. And then lastly, the last four were written when they came back out of captivity and they were a shadow of their former selves. A complete shadow. And so you can't miss it from the emphasis that is there in the messages. So in the first four, the main emphasis is warning upon warning upon warning. The second message, the second set of messages are messages primarily saying if you repent, the Lord will bring you back. If you repent, the Lord will bring you back. And then the last, the main messages there were basically saying, yes, you are a shadow of your former self, but look at the future that God promises you. Look at the future. So yes, you have paid for your sin. There's no doubt about it. Chastisement has to be felt. However, you have a bright future that is beyond comparison. So generally, that's where we are. And again, it's something that uh, applies to us, first of all, as individual believers, and also, secondly, to the church collectively. That if we take away our hearts from living for the Lord, he will continue coming, speaking to us. If we stubbornly continue in those ways, chastisement 
will come upon us. Yes, it will be painful. If we repent, we will be restored. There's no doubt about it. But we will be a shadow of our former self. The Lord still promises us where he is taking us. That if we still remain faithful, he will abundantly reward us in the end. So that's the general thrust that is there by way of application. And that should help us because as we make our way through these books, sometimes it's as though you, you feel a disconnection between what you are reading and yourself today. But if you can just learn to go through the lens of Calvary and um, the day of Pentecost, if you can just go through that and then apply to us today, you begin to see how to apply these truths. So then, let's begin with Amos now. And basically, I will take us through two whole chapters. So we'll go galloping. In my Bible, that's uh, one, two, three, uh, three and a half pages. That's how much ground we will cover. Let me begin by asking the question, who was Amos himself? Thankfully, we are told who he was in verse 1, and when it was that he prophesied. Amos chapter 1 and verse 1. We read there, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. That's very precise as to who he was and when it was that he lived. What may not be completely evident here is where exactly he lived. And there you have to run a little bit into commentaries and they generally agree that he himself lived in Judah. So he is speaking to Israel in the days of Jeroboam and as you know that's towards the end of the kingdom of Israel before they are taken into captivity and then also in the days of Uzziah, his own king, the king of Judah. It is said that these were very prosperous days for the people of Israel. And hence, as usual, when God's people prosper, the tendency is to abandon God. The tendency is to abandon God, to go into idolizing and sometimes it is idolizing the wealth itself. The precise time, as we are told there, is two years before the earthquake. Now, you and me will not know what this earthquake is, but it means that it must have been a very important event that took place 
Round about that time. So people were still hearing about it. This is when this particular um, prophecy was written and put together. Two years before the earthquake. The second thing that we, we learn from uh, this passage, and we see it in, in verse 2, is the theme of the entire book. The theme of the entire book. And this is what the way it is described. And he said, The Lord rose from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Just two or three quick things that then describe what is happening in the rest of this letter. First of all, it is the way it is put, the Lord rose, and then it says he utters his voice. Basically there, it is God speaking in judgment. God, like a, a lion that roars. The effect of a lion's roar is not you beginning to dance. Definitely not. It is you fearing for your life. And every so often, if you ever pick up a modern day commentary on Amos, on the cover usually is a lion. On the cover is a lion. Why? Because it seeks to capture something of this same theme across the entire book. And so it is about God coming in judgment. His warning at this point, and of course, if they do not heed, he is going to come and punish them. We also notice there that he is roaring from Zion or from Jerusalem. And the point there is that that's where he had established his throne. In Israel, to be precise, in Judah, to be precise, in Jerusalem, where his temple was. In other words, he is unleashing his judgments from his throne. That's talking in terms of the power with which, or the authority with which he is speaking. And as we will be going uh, into chapter uh, 1 and chapter 2, that's really what you will observe over and over again. It is him speaking in judgment, speaking in judgment, speaking in judgment. The effect is what we are given at the end of verse 2. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel with us. That's the inevitable effect. Now, if, if I could use an example here, it's like, you know, if, if children are playing and then one of them says to his friend, you know, I'm going to beat you up. The friend will sort of say, well, I think this guy is just asking for a fight and they start insulting each other and before you know it, a fight has started and then you quickly go in to separate them. All right. He's able to put up a gallant fight. But you can imagine if it is somebody who shows up 
and he's got an AK-47. And then he says to you, I'm going to kill you. I mean, obviously, at that point, it's different because you're not armed. There's not much you can do. The effect is not for you to start fighting. The effect for you is to simply start saying your final prayers. That's all, your final prayers. Because of the power that that person has. And that's the, what is capturing here. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Camel with us. With that, Amos begins to give the judgments of God. Now, we'll be reading one after the other, and what I want us to notice very quickly before we go through them is uh, in, in verse 3, if you've got your Bible with you, it is against Damascus. You will notice there for three transgressions of Damascus. In verse 6, it is against Gaza. I hope you've seen that, which is really the Philistines. We'll come to that in a moment. And then in verse 9, it is against Tar. And then verse uh, 11 is against Edom. Verse 13 is against the Ammonites. Chapter 2, verse 1, is against the Moabites. And then we pause a little bit there. So we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 foreign nations that are being threatened with judgment. All these are not Israelites. All of them. They are Gentile nations. And then we come in uh, verse 4 of chapter 2 to Judah. And in verse 6 of chapter 2 to Israel. So there now you have the people of God themselves also being threatened with punishment. So here's a God who is the God of the Israelites and yet he is threatening judgment not only upon his own people but is threatening judgment upon the nations that are not his. In other words, he is sovereign over all the nations. He's sovereign over all the nations. That's number one. We shall see it displayed a little more in detail as we proceed. And hence, the title of my sermon is Our God in Sovereignty, in Sovereignty, Punishing All Sinners. Nobody can say he, he belongs to those people. So those are the ones he will punish. Me, I am outside any relationship with him. Therefore, I'm outside his reach. He is the God who is sovereign over all. Let me try and illustrate it because we shouldn't miss the implication here. Often, when you get into trouble with a president of a nation, all you need to do is somehow in the middle of the night cross the border. That's the main thing. Just cross the border or if it's a nation that can respect other nations, just jump the wire fence into the embassy 
of another country. Just cross into it. And that's it. However powerful that king might be to you, the fact that you've crossed into a territory that belongs to another president, another prime minister, that's it. You have escaped. God is not like that. There is no religion, there's no territory, there is no tribe that he cannot punish. He is the sovereign one of the entire universe, the entire globe, the sovereign one. Our God in sovereignty will punish all sinners. One more point, and uh, we will then begin to run through very quickly. And it is this, that notice how he begins with all the other nations and then comes to his people. Clearly showing that he deals with them slightly differently. The other difference we will come to notice in a moment. But when we come to his people, I want you to notice how he spends a lot more time with Israel. A lot more time with Israel. We'll come and see it when we get there. But for now, just notice the amount of verses that are there on Israel alone. He begins in verse 6 of chapter 2 of Amos and goes all the way to verse 16. So 11 entire verses on Israel. What it means is that although God is sovereign over all the nations, he has a particular eye, a special eye for us, his people. He deals with us separately and he deals with us differently. We are going to see in a little more detail when we get to Israel. Okay, so just take note of those, what I would call land features, land features, as we go through so that you don't get lost along the way. Because I know with prophecies, if, you, if you're not noticing these contours, it can sometimes be completely boring. And sometimes that's why God's people skip the prophets because they, as they are reading they just it's like walking through a, a bush where you don't live you you just want to finally get out on the other side but somebody who lives there will, will tell you that okay this corner it's because there that's where the chief lives and this corner you know this is where the the primary storyteller of the village. That's where he lives if you go that way and so on. And he, he's, he's got the whole place properly mapped out. Okay, so let's go then. We have seen the theme and it is God as a lion roaring out of his den. The first people that he is saying is going to punish is... Uh, they're referred to here as Damascus. Now, the thing I want you to notice is that often he begins with a name which is not the name of the nation, but the name of the capital of that nation. 
So it's like instead of saying Zambia, he says Lusaka. Okay, I'm coming to punish Lusaka. But in the end, you discover that it is the whole nation he is referring to. And then there is that poetic statement, for three transgressions and for four. It is simply speaking in terms of completeness. Three plus four is equal to seven. All right, which for Bible times refers to completion. So we will see it over and over again. So let's begin with Damascus. And the main thing I want you to notice, by the way, as we go through, is what they are being punished for. What they are being punished for. For the foreign nations, they are being punished for what they did to Israel. For what they did to my people. And then, for my people, they are being punished for abandoning God. So, Let's see that. Verse 3 to verse 5. I'll read it and then comment. I'll read it and then comment. That says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead. Now, Gilead is referring to Israel but let me be more specific. Um, there were a number of tribes of Israel that did not cross the Jordan going from the west to the east. Sorry, from the east to the west together with, um, uh, with Joshua. They went briefly to just help their brothers fight and then they came back and settled on the the eastern side. Now that's where Gilead is. And so the, often that phrase simply means the nations, the, the tribes of Israel that were on the eastern side, but it also simply means Israel itself. Because it means that when nations are coming to fight Israel, those are the places that they will start fighting from. And so Gilead could simply be the people of Israel or my own people. Okay. So because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron, so I will send a fire upon the house of Haziel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Benadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Evan. And him who holds the scepter from Bethedin and the people of Syria. Notice, it's actually Syria as a nation, and then Damascus is their capital. Shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. So here is an entire nation. It doesn't belong to him, to God. But he is saying, because you invaded my people, I am coming to punish you, and I will send you into exile. The same thing with uh, Gaza. Verse 6. That says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So in, a, in other words, what I'm threatening you, I will actually carry out, because your sin is now 
complete. Why? Because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. Now again, it is his people that are handed over to Edom. Strictly speaking, Edom is supposed to be relatives of Israel. We'll come to see that in a moment. But they were sworn enemies. And consequently, they, they would still want to see Israel punished. They are the descendants of Esau. So you can see Esau and um, Jacob, that fight never ended. We will see a little bit more of that. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour our strong, her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines. That's the nation now. Okay, so Gaza is only a capital. The nation is the nation of the Philistines, shall perish, says the Lord God. So even this great nation called the Philistines, even them I will punish. Number three, it is Tar. Verse nine, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tar, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. What did they do? Same thing. For they, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Torah and it shall devour her strongholds. We don't need to comment. We've seen what delivering up a whole people to Edom is about. Verse 11 is our fourth one. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, this is now the Edom itself. Okay? And I've already told you who they are. And for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. So, this is Esau, although it's the descendants of Esau, who still feel that this guy stole our father's birthright and so his children must pay for it. And so that continues and in the process forgets that, look, these are my brothers. We are, as they say, ulupwa. You can't do this to your own family. No, 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 no. They, as it were, tied in their hearts completely and went ahead into warfare in order to fight the Israelites. So he says in verse 12, So I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Bozrah. 
So there you have now Edom itself being told that these other nations brought them to you, you killed them, I will punish you as well. Then we come to the Ammonites and the Moabites. The Ammonites and the Moabites were actually on the eastern side of uh, uh, Israel. And so we've gone from, if you, if you know your maps, if we've gone from the, the western end, that's where F Philistia is, it sort of borders the, um, the Mediterranean Sea, and we are now reaching the opposite end here, and even going further south, because Moab is actually south on the eastern side, but right at the bottom. So he's covering all these nations, and he's saying, I am coming to punish you because of the way you are treating my people who are right in the middle of you. Each nation, I am coming to punish you. So let's quickly read the Ammonites, and then we will read the Moabites. Verse 13, that says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead. So we are back to the eastern side where Gilead is. And Gilead is being mentioned in the place of Israel and in the place of those nations that were on the eastern side of the Jordan. That they might enlarge their border. So, this is what I will do to them. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Reba, and it shall devour her strongholds, with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Can't miss it again. I'll come and defeat you completely. completely. And lastly, the Moabites. And by the way, if you've never quite studied the geography of Israel, uh, it's very easy. Very easy. I can almost bet you that if your Bible cost you anything, you probably have the map at the back of your Bible. Okay, unless it was given to you free. <laughs> okay. But some of you, you've got proper anointing. So even when it's free, it's an expensive Bible, and it will have the map. So if you peep there, you will see a number of these nations um, as uh, Old Testament nations um, and so forth. You will see that they will be there. Okay. I just thought I could squeeze that in in case you think that this was coming from my PhD studies. It's actually there in all our Bibles. Let's come to the last one, Moab, chapter 2 and verse 1. For three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because he burned to lime, notice, the bones of the king of Edom. So now, even Edom is the people of God. Esau 
his. The generations that come from him, God is also punishing these people for what they did even to Esau's descendants. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth. And Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and I will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. We're about to come now to the people of Israel themselves, Judah and Israel. And I hope you saw my point. Obviously, the, these nations were full of sin. After all, they were not recipients of the law of Moses. So there would have been people who cared nothing about killing somebody or assassinating them. There would have been people who were full of sexual immorality. There were people who were full of defrauding one another, stealing from one another. There would have been people who, who cared very little about the truth. And yet, when you read all these accounts, notice that God is not punishing them for any of those sins. Otherwise, they would have been wiped out long ago. Rather, they are being punished for what they were doing to God's people. That's what they were being punished for. Because of what they were doing to God's people. God is saying, I'm now going to come to punish you. So that's interesting. Because as we begin with Judah and then go into Israel, you will notice a marked difference. Now this will now not be because of what you did to my people. No, no. It will now be because of what you did to my law. My covenant with you. There is a complete change that you will see here. And that in itself is a lesson to us, brethren. But let's, let's quickly go because I've only got another 15 minutes to wrap up. So let's, let's read verse 4 and to Judah. Notice the difference. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord, and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray. Those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. What a difference. What a difference. In other words, the, the way God treats Zambia will be different from the way God treats Kawata Baptist Church. Be different. Because Kawata Baptist Church is his people. 
and therefore they will be punished because they have abandoned his law, his word. Whereas if God was to do that to Zambia, he would have wiped it out long ago because they would not have been his people. They would have been living lives of proper unbelievers. Let's go on now to Israel. Judah was what they called the southern kingdom. It comprised two tribes in the south. The other ten tribes were further north, and that's where Assyria finally came later on and took them into captivity, leaving the bottom uh, section. So again, if you go to your geography, you will see that. Okay? You can pay me later. But I hope you see that, that the top is Israel, the bottom is Judah. Let's come to Israel. And I want us to see, because God there opens the, the issue of Israel a lot more. First of all, from verse 6 to verse 8, he speaks about what Israel did in order to deserve the judgment that is going to come. Notice what they did. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. So you're noticing they are doing this to themselves. The people among them whom they're supposed to love and protect, they are the ones who are being abused. And turn aside the way of the afflicted. In other words, somebody's in need, they say, go away. A man and his father go in to the same girl. That's a terrible extent of sexual immorality. That they've lost even a sense of family decency. And so, my holy name is profane. It is. It's about my name. Because these are people called by my name. They lay themselves down beside every altar, which is referring to uh, uh, idolatry, on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink, and the wine of those who, sorry, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So the judicial system was tied in with the religious system. So when you were fined, assuming you were fined to pay in terms of um, skins of wine, that comes into the temple. And now they are invading the temple itself to drink that which is there. So it's in today's language, you speak in terms of the fact that they are plundering 
the national treasury. That's basically what they're doing, plundering the national treasury. What does God do now? He, he reminds them of what he did for them. That you people, you are special to me. You are not like everyone else. No. You are special to me. Verse 9 to verse 11. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the ox. I destroyed his fruit above and his root beneath. Also, he's talking about the Amorites, they're destroying them to rescue the Israelites. Also, verse 10, also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. Verse 11, And I raised up some of your sons for prophets, and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? You know, it, it comes as a rebuke to us even today who are Christians. When we are now trying to justify ourselves by saying, I'm also just a human being. I'm also just a human being. No. God has treated you differently. He has elected you in eternity. He has given his own son to die for you in time, 2,000 years ago. And on the day of your salvation, he sent his Holy Spirit to come to you, to regenerate you, to convert you, to bring you to himself. You are special. You cannot be justifying lukewarmness, sin, idolatry, and so on in your life, saying, Kabili, everyone is doing it. You are not everyone. God has a very special place for you. And yet, despite what God was doing for them, look at their response in verse 12. Look at their response. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets saying, you shall not prophesy. The very people that God was setting aside that they might be the means of grace to them, they are now making them go against their vows. Because the Nazarite vowed never to have wine touch his lips. It was a vow that Nazarites made. And then prophets were being told, don't speak God's word to us. Shut up. Shut up. Don't want to listen at all to what you have to say. So God finally says, fine. You don't want the means of grace? I will come and finish my work with you. And here it is, verse 13 to the end. Verse 13 to verse 16. Behold, I will press you down 
in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift. In other words, they won't have the capacity to do so. And the strong shall not retain his strength. They shall lack the ability to do so. Nor shall the mighty save his life. Even the strong one will lack the ability to do so. He who handles the bow shall not stand. He will lack the ability to do so. And he who is swift of foot shall not save himself. He will fail to run. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. Even he will fail to gallop away. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, embarrassed, shamed because of their sin. And obviously, this is referring to them being taken into captivity. So I hope we've seen what's happening in these two chapters. The main lesson is this, that our God in sovereignty will punish all sinners. Whether outside the kingdom or inside the kingdom. Because he rules over all. You cannot say, because me have been baptized and I'm a church member, I'm safe to sin. No, you're not. Because there you are breaking the law that is the relationship between you and God. That's what you're doing. And seeing how long God went on Israel, it is basically trying to say, you are special to me, but look at the way in which you are relating to me. Look at the way in which... In, in other words, yes, it shows why I should come hard, or better still, harder upon you. Because you are so special to me. The people of the world, yeah, that's their life. As I said, he reserves their punishment for the final day. The eternal punishment. He reserves it for them. Although, if they are playing with the apple of God's eye, that's when they will pay for it. Because God will deal with them when they are in malice trying to destroy his people, his church. He will deal with them now. But to say that they are living in sin, that's not news. Because that's who they are. It's us who, about whom it should, not, it should be news. Because he has saved us from sin. Lastly, this should show us how great our God is. Because, you know, when we get out there during the week and we're relating to bosses at work and we're relating to one another and family members and 
and so on and so forth, we, we easily lose sight of the fact that there's actually somebody who's in charge of the whole of history, somebody who's in charge of all the nations, someone who's in charge of the entire universe. We easily forget that. Especially when those bosses and those individuals are, are rubbing us the wrong way. They're making our lives impossible. And perhaps we're now having to resign here and, and go somewhere else and so on. And they seem to get away with it. We easily forget that God is seeing all that. And that God is taking special exception to what is happening. And that in his own time, on his own day, he's going to come and deal with those people. And when he deals with them, we will be shocked as well. We will tremble. We will fear for them as we realize how God is jealous for his people. But for us, as we are carried away with all the activities of life, let's not try to be like the people of the world. No, we are different, friends. We are. Our value system should be godly because we are in a relationship with God. We should live our lives following those two great commandments. Loving the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving my brothers and sisters as I love myself. That should be our life out there. Not a life we're just wanting to get and get and get and get and get at the expense of everybody else, but lives full of love, full of love. That's what God wants us to be. When we forget that, he chastises us as well. He chastises us. And as he said there, even the strong end up lacking strength. Let's not go that way. Our God is great. Our God is mighty. And as the song we'll be singing says towards the end, the day shall come at last when every wrong is turned to right. We shall see from Zion's citadel the ending of the night. Zion. Remember where the lion is roaring from. Zion. That palace. That headquarters. We shall see from there the ending of the night. Our job is to continue worshipping him and truly living for him. Amen.